Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Booming Basketball Podcast. I'm Nate. I'm Danny. Today, we're going to be talking about, you guessed it, basketball. Yes, basketball. This is the Booming Basketball Podcast, so that is what we do here. Let's start off with talking about what happened on Sunday. Unless you're blind or you live under a rock or you're mentally deficient, you saw what happened on Sunday at the All-Star Game with Steph Curry. Danny... I'll let you, you, I know you're very excited to talk about this one as you have a sexual fantasy about Steph Curry, <laughs> but so explain what happened. Uh, I love Steph Curry and uh, that was, I, I don't care if it was an all-star game, that was the greatest shooting performance that I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't know how he's human. Like I, the shots he was taking even, it's just, even if you're wide open, those are not easy shots to make. No, dude. And he... The fact that he shot almost 60% from the three in the All-Star game and made 16 of them, like, he would, he, that's tied for Clay's record, correct? Or what? What is, what's tied for Clay's record? Isn't Clay's record 14? Yeah, Clay's record's 14. Wow. So, yeah, if this was a real game, Steph Curry would have the three-point record easily. I still think he might do it before his career's over. I think so, probably. He's, he's pretty good at basketball. Um, the thing that was just most impressive to me was the fact of how many he made in a row and how little he missed at the beginning. He, what was he like? At first, I think he was like 14 for 20 or something like that, or 14 for 17. I don't know. But the dude made like three times, four times as many shots as he missed, and he was pulling up from the parking lot. Yeah. Uh, underrated performance of the All-Star game, Joel. Joel, yeah, Joel did go off. I think Joel would have been a great MVP of any All-Star game other than when you're playing with a guy who scores 50 points and 16 threes, it's kind of hard to beat. You know, I, would, he, I, I just thought that I'd mention the player that you have a sexual fantasy about. I don't like Joel Embiid like that, but um, <laughs> thank, thank you for uh, the compliment. It was so funny at the end to me because I was rooting so hard for Steph to just make a few more and just keep that point total up. At the end, he was jacking it. He couldn't hit jack shit. He was tired as hell. And by the way, great ending to the game. LeBron hitting the game-winning shot in Cleveland. That's just a storybook ending. It, no, on. you couldn't have written that any better. Fuck you, LeBron. No, I'm just kidding, but I don't, I don't like LeBron. I love LeBron. I guess you love a lot of men. <laughs> but, so, LeBron hit the story, story fairy tale ending with the buzzer beater fade away over Embiid, and who else was guarding him? Zach Levine. Oh, Zach Levine. Yeah, Zach Levine's a really good defender. So that, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he was on it. That makes sense. I don't know why he was on it. It's all right. We could also talk about the dunk contest, which was... Oh, my God. So good. It, there's too much to talk about. It was too Can good. we just not talk about the dunk contest? We're not going to talk about the dunk contest. It barely existed. This shout out shout out Obi Toppin. He yeah. was the only one that came, up, came out to show out anything. Guys, I promise there was no Knicks bias in that statement that Nate just made. Obi actually looked pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I don't, I don't even understand the hate on it. Because I'll admit when someone has a bad dunk contest, DSJ tried to do too much with the Knicks the other year when he was in the dunk contest. But I thought Obi had a pretty good showing. But other than that, it was way more exciting to see Carl Towns score 29 points in the final round of a three-point contest. Yeah, uh, you made the statement, I think, in an earlier podcast saying that Carl Anthony Towns was the greatest shooting big man of all time. And I... I didn't a hundred percent buy it, but, but I think but I saw where you were coming from. But now, now I now, think now you got my, it. You got give it. me no, my flowers. It, I actually met Carl Towns at a baseball game. I worked for the Yankees minor league uh, affiliate. 
and uh, he threw out a first pitch, and he was coming over to by the concession stands where I was working as a little high school kid. And I met Carl Towns when he was, like, second year in the league. So that's cool. But, yeah, I love Carl Towns. That is one player that I am very fond of. Um, yeah, straight out of New Jersey. Shout out Jersey. Jersey produced some of the best talent recently. But shout out Carl Towns, best shooting big man of all time. Uh, if you guys want to talk about the skills challenge, it was kind of confusing. What did, did you like? Did you like the skills challenge this year? Based like compared to the other years, did you like I, the change up with the teams instead of the personal? I like the fact that they tried to change it. I think that they could have made it better though. Yeah, I didn't like the fact that three people won it. I feel like this challenge should be individual awards because it's like it's cool to see people go head to head. Yeah, the thing that I did like was like the player groups, like the rookies, the onset of yes, I did, and uh, the Cavs. Yeah. I it was pretty embarrassing for. I mean, I guess it was cool for the Antetokounmpo brothers to get the spotlight that their brother has for once, but they did not belong out there. They looked so awful. Am I uh, mistaken, or did Jarrett Allen cash a three? I'm pretty sure. I that think yeah, Jared Allen he might hit have the corner three. three. Yeah, he shoots and, better uh, than Scotty Barnes airball. Yeah, Scotty Barnes is. Scotty Barnes had quite a few moments at All Star Weekend. He's a he's a character. Yeah, I like Scotty Barnes though. So do I. He's funny. He's just, he is a funny guy. He's kind of it's funny how funny how many times I've said funny, <laughs> but it's funny how as soon as Kawhi leaves, I feel like he's a similar personality type player. Obviously not as good as Kawhi, but he's way younger. But I think he, the way he carries himself, and honestly his build, he kind of looks like Kawhi from behind. I think Scotty Barnes is going to be a fantastic player, but his jump shot is not pretty. At least he shoots them, unlike someone. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, we're not going to mention his name. Damn, it's kind of hard to do this without. Let's talk about, uh, we talked about the trade deadline and what happened at the deadline, obviously, in the last uh, week's episode. Now we get to see some of that in action soon as the deadline, even though we saw a few guys get into action, the big names, such as James Harden, the biggest, hasn't played in the game yet for the 76ers, but he will be making his first appearance tomorrow against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And... I'm really excited to see how that works out. What do you expect to see from Harden in his first day with the Philadelphia 76ers? Uh, I think he'll probably put up like a cool. Shit. What you want me to give you like a stat line prediction? Give me a stat line prediction. All right, I'm I'm gonna give Harden like a cool 19 points. Points. Yeah. Probably like 25 percent shooting, but go on. <laughs> I'm gonna say 13 assists. He's he's gonna he's gonna pass the ball crazy. He's gonna be a big facilitator for them because I think. And I'll give like six rebounds because, you know, I think Embiid's gonna take a. Good chunk of the rebounds, yeah. probably. But. They are the worst rebounding team in the NBA, though. That's that's crazy. Yeah, I still don't understand when that. When they had Drummond yeah. <laughs> it might, and Embiid. It might be worse now because Drummond's gone. I don't know. But, yeah. <laughs> but no, 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 knowing that stat, though, like how weird that stat is, the Sixers being last. How? Rebounds, I don't understand. Like, you could just think, like, it'll probably be like Andre Drummond leaves. Their rebound numbers go up. Once. That would make sense. Andre, somehow Andre Drummond, even at the thing he does well, fucks everything else up. I don't know. We're not talking about Andre Drummond. He's, he's so bad offensively. All right, let's not talk about Andre Drummond. I don't want to talk about Andre Drummond. He turns into prime I Shaq. I feel like we've talked about too much of Andre Drummond yeah. in the podcast. Andre Drummond's played less games than podcasts he's appeared in. But going on, uh, I think James Harden's going to really just add a new look to their offense because even though... Harden's going to possibly be their best player. I still think Embiid's their best player right now. I'd take him over Harden. But giving 
Embiid another superstar to create, and Harden didn't want to do all the work himself, which is hence the reason why he wanted out of Brooklyn. So adding a second star, or adding a guy who's arguably better, probably better than him right now, is going to take a lot of the pressure off James Harden. So I think his efficiency could really go up. And Embiid's a guy that likes to play through the post. And if Harden's more willing to cut and play off the ball, I think it could open up a lot for Harden too. I think there's a big chance here for Harden to become a more complete player and just contribute to winning more because I don't think he has to play that style of basketball that he's played most of his career in order to win with Philadelphia. They have a nice roster. Their starting five is probably one of the best in the league. James Harden, um, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris... Matisse Thybul, who is actually... One thing I want to talk about with Matisse Thybul is he's going to get played off the court come playoff time. He's shooting 25% on, like, open threes. And teams are literally playing four and five versus him. They guard him with their center. They literally put their center on him and just paint sit. It literally... It's with Ben... It's like what they had with Ben Simmons, like but... It, no, it is. It is literally like Andre Roberson and what the what happened to the Bucks with Eric Bledsoe in the 2020 or 2019 playoffs, maybe? Yeah. But, and then Tony Allen, too, when he was on the Grizzlies, they played him off the court. Guys like that are a problem come playoff time. So, who's their starting shooting guard? Who's the starting two for the Sixers? Oh, I guess Maxi. Is Maxie going to come off? Maxie's probably going to start. They're not going to yeah, bench they'll, him. They'll start Maxie. It'll be Maxie and Harden in the yeah. backcourt, so Harden's going to play one and two. I think Maxie's honestly more of a two, though, anyways. Did you see the video of uh, Harden helping out Joel with his step back? Yeah, and then and Joel then... tried it in the game and got called for a travel. No, but he uh, he hit a few. He hit two. Really? He, yeah, he hit two step-back threes, and then there was a clip of Harden, and he was saying, thank you, thank you. To, uh, if Joel, Joel Embiid starts consistently hitting step-back threes, watch, watch the fuck out. He's already going to win MVP. Look at him. <laughs> now, now he has another offensive weapon to learn from. He's, he's already Harden. getting better, and he's going to be the MVP so far. And now he has one of the best offensive players ever to mentor him. Let's talk about another great point guard in the league, Kemba Walker. So he's had a spectacular season for the Knicks this season. He has one player of the week and has done absolutely nothing else. Um, whether you want to blame that on Tibbs or not, I, I don't know, but... He's shooting, like, 39% from the field, and so he's going to be sidelined the rest of the season, and he's not going to be with the team very much anymore, if at all. I just, uh, I just feel like just sidelining Kemba for the rest of the season, not doing anything, like, really with him, just is such a Knicks move. Like, yeah, I, I feel I'm like that's just him, such a Knicks, things to do, Knicks thing to do. In what way? You guys make a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> I don't even think this is a bad decision because fuck. No, it's just weird. It's just weird. Because, like, cause someone at the, the caliber of Kemba Walker. The no, th- I'm just saying, someone at the caliber that Kemba Walker is at should not be sidelined yes. for the rest of the season. Maybe not, but also, I don't understand why they don't just buy him out and let him go play somewhere else. That's what, yeah. The comments Tom Thibodeau made afterwards or around the same time were also... Very concerning regarding Derrick Rose's return. He said that when Rose comes back, he was asked if he'd be the starter or whatnot. The Knicks were much worse. They were below 500 last season before Derrick Rose, and then once Derrick Rose came to the team, they made that run to go to the playoffs, which I honestly think is the biggest reason why the Knicks have struggled so much this season is Derrick Rose's stats are so much, so much worse than the impact he has on the game. His stats don't tell the whole story. And Derrick Rose... Coming back, Tom Thibodeau says that 
His best option statistically so far this season at the point guard has been none other than Alec Burks, who probably hasn't played point guard since middle school other than this season. I like Alec Burks. Tom, listen closely. He's not a point guard. He's just not. He's not a point guard. Alec Burks has played small forward and shooting guard for his entire career. He's never been a ball handler, never been a playmaker. And all of a sudden, Tom Thibodeau goes, Hey, you're a point guard now. This is going to work fucking great. And it's not worked fucking great. It's worked fucking terrible. And uh, Tibbs' lack of willingness to change things up is just frustrating the hell out of me. And especially... It's not even switching things up. It's relying on the guy that's carried you your entire career and is probably the reason why you still have a job. It's like us running Lou Dort at point guard. It is. It's running... A... I can feel it. I, that, that would hurt me. Yeah, I don't know what's going on in New York. Uh, another thing in New York, not to get uh, you know political, uh, the mask mandate getting removed. Kyrie's going to be back. Hopefully, maybe. I don't know with Kyrie, but... Yeah, no, Kyrie's going to be back most likely with the vaccine mandate and the mask mandate being lifted or whatever in New York City by the mayor soon. So that would mean that Kyrie is going to be fully back with the team, and when Simmons comes back, they're going to be very, very scary. Going back to the All-Star break, we did see the three rookies have a pretty pretty fun, I thought it was a good showing of what the three of the best rookies in this class were capable of doing, actually four considering Mobley was also on the Cavs. But talking about Rookie of the Year ladder, it's a very, I think it's a super tight race, one of the tighter races we've had in a few years because I think there's multiple guys that are honestly deserving of it because there's no one whose stats are just off the charts. Um, Evan Mobley is probably the front runner right now because of how good the Cavs are, and he is he's probably the best defensive rookie we've seen uh, maybe since Anthony Davis. I don't know. He's an incredible defender already. Scotty Barnes is also up there. So is Josh Giddy. So is Cade Cunningham. I think Josh and uh, Scotty are arguable. Because I know I just feel like Josh Giddy and like the recent, like I know the Thunder are not good, but in the recent couple weeks, like Josh Giddy's been putting up. Like, oh, I wasn't really saying Barnes over him. No, 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 no. I'm saying really impressive numbers. Yeah, Josh Giddy's really already coming into his own. The only thing that he was struggling with most was his scoring, and that's coming along even. It's averaging 12, 8, and 6. Like, statistically, all around, only player that has better stats probably is Cade, and they shoot very similar from the field, but Cade's a better three-point shooter. Mobley might have the best stats, arguably, but his assist numbers aren't there. All around, I think the rookie of the year so far, in my opinion, I know a lot of people aren't going to agree with this. I think Cade Cunningham is the rookie of the year. And let me explain why first. The reason why I think Cade is the Rookie of the Year is because of how god-awful the Pistons would be if he was not on the team. And I know that they're already awful. But I'm serious. I don't think this team would have 10 wins even right now, and they have 18 with without Cade. The Pistons' roster structurally, other than Jeremy Grant and Sadiq Bey, is just a bunch of players who wouldn't be on any other team's rotation at all. Uh, and maybe Isaiah Stewart. So I could see like where you're coming from with that. You you would put Mobley too. You think Mobley would be number two okay, for me. Okay. Okay. So I could see where you could say that because, like, they're I, I feel like they're taking a lot of, you know, the Cavs being successful into account when talking about the rookie of the year race and 
I agree. I think a, most lot of people, it, a lot of people putting Mobley at number one, but at the same time, a lot of that comes from Darius Garland's improvement, Jared Allen's improvement. Exactly, and I think a lot of Mobley ha- being so good is because he doesn't have, he's not required to do that much, and he just gets his points kind of within the flow of the offense, and he's gone off here and there, but the way that Cade has to carry the team every single night, night in and night out, even though his percentages aren't the best, he gets rebounds, he gets assists as well, especially on that team. Assists are not an easy thing to come by because the only guys in that team knocking down a shot, really, like I said, Sadiq Bey and Jeremy Grant. I definitely am more than open to being persuaded, but for me, watching Cade too, the eye test, Cade's, Cade's different. He has the it factor to me, and I just, I don't know. Cade's something special to me. I think Cade's going to be one of the best players in the league for years to come. His confidence is otherworldly, and statistically, he's probably had like the best game out of any other rookie. He, I believe he had the thirty-point triple-double almost. One thing that I've noticed mainly when watching the Thunder recently is that Josh Giddy is the main guy. But I mean, obviously, because Shea is off the court, Shea's Josh Giddy's looked great. Yes. He's looked no, great he has as the main guy. The game that really gave uh, notice to me was the triple-double with twenty-eight points against the Knicks. That was. Incredible performance. I honestly think he reminds me a lot of LaMelo Ball. He really does. Like, he's not as good of a scorer as LaMelo Ball, and he doesn't move as smooth, but he's quick in a different way, and he's unorthodox, but he moves. She's very shifty, and he's crafty, very much in the same way LaMelo is. LaMelo wasn't super efficient earlier on in his rookie season. He got there as, it, as the season progressed, and we've seen the same thing happen with Giddy. His shooting numbers have gone up and up. And his scoring's gone up. And when looking at them, they're both guys who are big six foot seven, six foot eight point guards from Australia or who played in Australia and then came to the NBA as a top six draft pick each. And I just think that the similarities in their game are very similar are very glaring. And I'm not saying he's good as Lamella Ball because I don't think he is, and I think Lamello has an it factor and confidence that Josh Giddy just will never have. I'm sorry to say that to you, Danny, but I just don't see him being as good as LaMelo. But I think people aren't talking about Giddy enough because the way he's playing right now is really incredible for a rookie to do everything that he does. His only real weakness is defense. And after the draft, they said his weakness was basically basketball. So that was just utterly stupid. I actually saw an ESPN list where they were comparing the top rookies, like they were doing player comps. And Josh Giddey's was Lamelo. Yeah, I see it like very, very much. If you, if they were both just silhouettes, and I didn't see the jersey or the team or who was playing, I could honestly confuse them. They both have really great hair too. Another rookie that I feel like is not getting enough credit is Franz Wagner. I agree. Franz Wagner is very impressive. He's averaging the second most points per game, just point one under Cade. But the thing with Franz is, I just. I think the Magic are at least a competent team, and he doesn't have to do as much with Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs, who has a lot of this pressure as a rookie, and most of the pressure and attention for the rookies on the Magic have gone to Jalen Suggs, leaving more open for Franz. And Franz dropped 38 points in a loss to the Bucks, so I'm not saying like he's not capable of going off and whatnot. And honestly, I didn't think he was going to be very good coming out. I thought he was a very, like, just not a high-ceiling player at all. He's been really, really good, and I think, honestly, he deserves more talk in Rookie of the Year race, but he's on the Magic, and unfortunately, it's probably just not going to happen. He's more efficient than most rookies, and 
he scores the ball arguably better than any rookie in the entire league right now. I don't think he's as good as Cade scoring the ball in his arsenal, but efficiency-wise, he is statistically better. They made his player come Gordon Hayward. I think that's actually, like, scarily, like, good. Accurate, right? Yeah, that's, like, scarily right? accurate. Right? Yeah, but uh, I, I am a Michigan fan when it comes to college sports, college football, basketball, that. You know, watched a fair amount of Franz in college. And, uh... I was not impressed with what I saw, and when I looked at the mock draft for for uh, that class, and saw Franz as a lottery projected pick, I was rather confused. But I take everything back that I've said now because he is performing. And I thought that they were wasting the pick almost after drafting Jalen Suggs. I thought they had another guy that they could potentially take who had more upside than Wagner. But that proved to be I'm wrong. That as simple as that I was wrong they traded the Vucevic they traded Vucevic to get that pick and yeah I mean right now it's looking pretty good for them they have no use for Vucevic they're a rebuilding team and Vucevic has been kind of underwhelming with the Bulls another thing that I definitely do want to discuss is the JJ Redick statement on Zion where he said that he was Zion's teammate for a little bit and he said that Zion was disconnected as a teammate I think Zion's days in New Orleans are obviously numbered, as a lot of other people think. I also think the amount of games he's played is numbered because he's played, like, I think less than 100 career games in three seasons with, I think, probably like 80-something is where it's around because he played 26 in his rookie year, and then he played most of the season the second year. But after originally expecting Zion to be back at the beginning of the season, he hasn't played since. They acquired McCollum at the deadline, and J.J. Redick basically went off on him, and J.J. Redick's not one of those people who lies or complains about anything. I think J.J. Redick's one of the more respected and honestly one of the better player analysts in the entire – that have been in the league. He knows his stuff. He knows his shit. Um, he was a four-year college student, so he graduated from Duke. And J.J. Redick is just not one of those guys to, like, say something to try to start shit. I think, that, honestly, this – happening with Zion is a problem the fact that he's not even all it takes is a text or one little reach out and he would have been fine if he had just sent CJ McCollum a text or anything just the smallest form of communication just saying hey welcome here like you're the number one pick you were supposed to be the face of this franchise you're not playing and then you're gonna act like a baby. That's what he's acting like. He's acting like a baby. You're a professional athlete getting paid millions of dollars. You were one of the most sought-after players on the planet before you got hurt. And now you're going to just complain, especially after saying how much you love New Orleans and all this shit, committing to them. You didn't have to say any of that stuff. You didn't have to act like you were super happy to get drafted to New Orleans and act like... I don't know. He's kind of acted distant ever since his rookie season, hinting things like how MSG is his favorite place to play... Or he's made multiple comments about that. Yeah, keep your hopes up. I'm shut up. It's all I have left. One thing that it kind of reminds me of, though, is the uh, Kawhi situation. With it the does Spurs. remind me of the Kawhi yeah. situation where they messed up his rehab and it led Kawhi to becoming distant, becoming frustrated, and then the relationship was beyond repair and they had to move on. It'll happen. A trade will happen. It will happen. I really think that. I just think a Julius Randle for Zion trade is actually potentially could happen in the future just because of the contracts. Julius isn't making a shit ton of money. 
you're getting back a player who's not too old and is familiar with the ta- with the city, and or you, what are you gonna say? What do you have to say? Is Zion restricted at the end of the season? Zion is restricted at the end okay. of the season. But so what I think will probably happen if Zion doesn't get traded though, will he will go into restricted free agency eventually? He's not gonna sign a long term deal with them. So. He'll accept a qualifying offer like Porzingis had planned to do with the Knicks a while back, hence why they moved on from him, and other young players. But they've just so he will play that one more year under a qualifying offer, and then he'll be free to go wherever he wants. Or maybe a little sign and trade. So, yeah, the only thing I see happening where he signs a long-term deal is a sign-and-trade, like Danny just said. One player in particular that I really wanted to talk about this video was Mr. Jalen Brunson, who Danny's been on my ass about for whatever reason because I guess he hates Jalen Brunson. But Jalen Brunson is one of the players that I'm most excited for in the second half of the season because mainly because the Porzingis trade, which still makes zero sense to me. I The Mavs tried... You know how the Mavs tried to justify it, right? They said we got rid of one player and got two players back. Oh, okay. So I'm going to trade LeBron for, like, Rashawn Holmes and uh, yeah, Lance Stevenson. Yeah, yeah. so uh, LeBron – I mean, hey, I'd rather have Lance Stevenson and Rashawn Holmes than LeBron. I have two players. Oh, my God. That's, like – that's that reminds me of, like, same level of stupidity as when the Mavericks called the Pistons – and wanted Jalen, or they wanted Jalen Brunson from the Mavericks, and then the Mavericks go, we like Cade Cunningham. Like, what? What the fuck? What is that? I, the Mavericks are on crack. Mark Cuban has dementia. Not actually, but I, Mark Cuban used to run one of the best teams in the league and one of the best organizations, and recently the Mavericks seem to do everything in their power right now to drive Luka out of there eventually. Because I don't think Luka's going to put up with this bullshit for that much longer. So with Porzingis being gone, and although they have two two players that they can add to their rotation, thank God, two players to add. Two players who are incredibly underperforming and have horrible contracts. And also Bertens has a year extra than Porzingis, so they're going to have Davis Bertens for a year more than they would have had Porzingis. So that that's smart. But... Back to Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson, this season without Porzingis, has been a completely different player. His development as a secondary scorer and his jump shooting has been insane. Jalen Brunson, in 33 games with Porzingis this season, shot only 34% from three and 15 points a game. Without Chris Stapps, Jalen Brunson's stats have gone up to 17.5 points and 40% from three. So his shooting in higher volume and the more shots he's taken as a secondary option with Porzingis out he's improved and the more shots he's taken the more he's made as well it's not like he's just jacking it he's an efficient scorer and he's been a really good secondary option to Luka and he's a secondary ball handler who can also take some of the pressure off of Luka because he has one of the biggest workloads in the entire league and he can't do all the ball handling and playmaking by himself Brunson also averages about five assists per game, so he does a playmaking job as well. He's not just a scorer, but his development as a scorer has been the biggest thing, and now with Porzingis gone in the second half of the season, I'm excited to see him continue his play without him because I think Jalen Brunson could turn into a really, really nice player, and he already is one. Do you have any opinions on Jalen Brunson? No. Awesome. So big news uh, for the Suns. Chris Paul is getting reevaluated in six to eight weeks for his uh, fractured thumb. But he uh, decided to play in the All-Star game for whatever reason anyways. No, he did. He was in the All-Star game. Chris he, Paul. Yes, Chris Paul. He checked in to the All-Star game for like 
three minutes just to try to get an assist. And, like, Devin Booker did a rip move and almost, like, broke his finger. On, like, he did a rip on his teammate, like, a rip through. And Chris Paul's hand, I swear, was so close to getting caught in between that. Imagine the pain of being a Suns fan if Devin Booker had, like, broken Chris Paul's hand even more in the fucking All-Star game. But they do, the Suns do have one of the easiest schedules remaining. Yeah, they, they do have one of the easiest schedules remaining, so hopefully it won't matter too much, and they already do have a nice lead on most of the other teams in the West other than the Warriors. But I don't understand why he played in the All-Star game. Like, he didn't need an extra assist. I didn't, maybe it was for an accolade or something. I don't think they said anything about an accolade on TV, and I'm sure the commentators would have said something about that. And he already gets the All-Star appearance regardless. So, But, guys, it's okay. They have Aaron Holiday, so the Suns are perfectly fine because Aaron Holiday is like the same thing. I mean, it, you, you won't even notice the difference. They're like the same player. No, but they do have a really easy schedule the rest of the way. Um, and they still have Devin Booker. Yeah, they still have Devin Booker. They're, they they probably barely have to win half of their games that they have left to retain yeah. the number one seed. And regardless, <laughs> they're going to be a threat come playoff time, so I'm not worried about the Suns at all. And to, ha- and to like know that you have a completely healthy Chris Paul going into the first yeah. round of the playoffs, I'm sure helps. It's also going to be very team. scary for like a four or a five seed if they have to play the Suns in the first round if the Suns fall to like the four or five seed. If they follow the six seed and play like a three seed, that's just gonna be awful for the three seed. All right, we're gonna do something. This uh, penis in my mouth. <laughs> All right. So the next thing we're gonna talk about is something a little different. We're mainly an NBA page here, mainly talk about basketball in the professional leagues. That's what we're more comfortable with, and that's what we know a lot more. But we're gonna just step into the world of college basketball really quick to talk about the Jawan Howard situation and his contract with UFC that he just signed. <laughs> Have you ever seen anything like that? I honestly don't know if I've ever seen a coach actually punch another coach. I've never seen that. That That is crazy. Yeah, no, that, that is crazy. actually is. I don't even think I so, thought about that until So then. my take on it is... so. Right. Do you th- First of all, do you think that it warranted the rest of the regular season? Because yes, people, yeah, I don't... Yeah, yes, yeah. because I don't think what people are realizing is how little time is left in the regular season and they're acting like he's being suspended for the rest of the season. Like, that's a long time. He's, like, suspended yeah. for, like, two weeks. No, so I... I had previously said in this episode, I'm a Michigan fan, so obviously I saw this, and I I just gotta say, like, I'm just saying, you can call me biased, but it looks like Jawan, like, like not that it makes it any better, it looks like Jawan Howard went to like, grab him like, like by like, like this. No, so what and, like he went in like that and then came back like, yeah. really quickly. He and he he like switched from like a choke hold to like a punch. It was because yeah, like, he did that second. and he got his arm hit. Someone hit his arm and deflected yeah. it, so he changed how he did it, and then he hit him on the head. I honestly. I'm not even that much against Jawan Howard because I think he was sticking up for his players. And did like, the other head coach get any? It wasn't the, no, it wasn't the other head coach. It was an assistant coach from the other team that called did, his timeout. Did, 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 did no, he didn't get anything. But that's kind of crazy. What Howard said that um, the Athletic and ESPN put quotes from everybody from the presser in it. Uh, some sources like the New York Times didn't have quotes from Howard that made him look like more of a bad guy. But from Howard's point. point of perspective, he said that the other person, the other coach, was saying things and making threatening, threatening comments or whatnot. So Howard felt the need to protect himself. So honestly, like we've seen scuffles between players before, and for some reason, it's just bigger that they're coaches. I get that they're older, and Jordan Howard probably should have made a better decision. But in the moment, like we don't always think like that. Speaking of which, I'm just gonna say this while we're on the topic. I don't think that Jawan Howard's a great coach. 
Or I don't know anything because I don't watch Michigan <laughs> games. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this week's episode. Next week, we plan to go over a more structured uh, buy or sell of certain players for the second half of the season. So we'll see a few games tonight, and, yeah, we'll go from there. So thank you guys again, as always. I'm Nate. I'm Danny. See you all next time.